worship folder, it says various scriptures, but I'm not going to say turn to various scriptures. I'm going to say turn in your Bibles to 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11, and then we'll follow that up with Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. So 1 Chronicles 29, 11. That's our starting point. Unless I got it wrong, I'm looking in my Bible and I'm looking at my text. Here's, here's the verse, uh, which does not match unless I'm in Second Chronicles. At any rate, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. And God's word says this, as we think about a sovereign God. God is talking, and he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Want a good verse to memorize? Memorize this one. I'm going to read it again, then we'll sit down. Um, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Please be seated. Lord, in your sovereignty, in your great kindness, in your loving authority, through your Holy Spirit, help us today and for the next nine weeks as we tackle some important texts and an idea that will help our lives as we live for you. So help us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. A lot of us have favorite songs or mood songs, uh, songs that matter. My son just sent me a playlist, songs I think my dad would like. And he said, I said, I'll try it straight through. But then I said, I think I'll hit random. He said, that's probably the best because it's over 24 hours long already. (laughs) And uh, and, uh, every time he hears a song he thinks I would like, he puts it on there. We have songs that we like, songs that mean something, uh, songs that matter, uh, songs that evoke a memory. I was thinking about this, Mark, I I miss meeting at Panera like in the old days when we would meet every week. Part of what we would do when when we weren't having a session meeting was just if they played the right soundtrack, we would listen, we would comment on the songs and talk about Uh, We're not the same, but we're similar. And I remember... uh, uh, the Allman Brothers band, uh, Melissa, came on. And I said, this song, whenever I hear this, just does something to me. And you said, it's like, ro- that's the song you roll down the windows to. Remember saying that and, and driving? And I said, that's exactly it. We have songs that matter. But I want to know if anybody out here has a song in their life that they absolutely love. <laughs> Linda doesn't like that song. <laughs> okay. Um, we have songs that we like and hate. I, I've got a song, I love it, the first three quarters of it, and I absolutely despise and hate it, the last verse. 
only one song that I know of in, in pop culture that I love and hate. Not talking about a symphony where you like a movement or not a movement. Not even talking about a song that's like a medley of songs. This one song, same tune all the way through, same theme. And it like lifts me up and then it's like the worst song ever written. Anybody have a song like that? I despise the last part of the song so much, maybe because it undoes the first part. It's Dan Fogelberg's song, where he starts out and he says, I have these moments, all steady and strong. I'm feeling so holy and humble. Next thing I know, I'm all worried and weak, and I feel myself starting to crumble. And he's talking about living and, and, and just life. He describes life so perfectly, how sometimes we're going strong, sometimes we're... we're, we're in the dark, and he says there's a message that comes through. This message just comes through to me when I'm having hard days or good days. It's a, it's a wonderful, biblical, Calvinistic song. Love when you can, cry when you have to, be who you must, it's a part of the plan. Await your arrival with simple survival, someday we'll all understand. And I'm like, that. That, that's our sermon series. That's part of the plan. That, that's ten parts on God's sovereignty. That's the message I hope we take. Love when you can. Cry when you have to. Be you must. It's a part of the plan. One day we're going to see it. Uh, the Christian counterpart to that is farther along we'll know all about it. Farther along we'll understand why. And then, and then, it's absolutely perfect. And I listened to this. Uh, uh, this has been my my. CD I've been running with. But the last verse, he undoes everything he's ever said. And if I'm going to listen to it, I have to change the words. And I sing along, but I sing louder than the radio and, and change those words. Because at the very last, after he's talking about all these things we're going to go through, and it's part of the plan, and one day we'll understand, he says, there is no Eden or heavenly gate that you're going to make it to one day. But all of the answers you seek can be found in the dreams that you dream on the way. It's like, that's too opposing. Absolutely opposing. Why would he undo that and say there's no Eden, there's no heavenly gate? Uh, didn't he just say one day we'll understand? There's a plan, there's a planner, there's something how it all fits together, it makes sense. And then he's saying, it's just in whatever dreams you dream on the way. And I'm like, oh man, he blew it. He goes from saying there's something outside of you that is big, coherent, ultimately explainable. And it doesn't make sense now, but it's knit together, and it will make sense. And he goes from that to saying, you're kind of like the God of your dreams, and look inside and, and interpret your life, and true for you. I saw a documentary earlier this week. I, actually, I didn't watch the documentary. I saw the trailer for the documentary about some radical priest who's shaking things up, and he's in touch with the street, you know, and he's a cool dude. And he said, and they interviewed him, and they said, what? He goes, well, he says, the reason I'm able to connect so much is because I'm in touch with the truth. The truth for me is Christ. And I'm like, wait a minute. Did you hear those words? The truth for me? Uh, there's truth, uh, whether it's truth for you, and we don't say what's true for you, and you find your own truth. Uh, that's no truth. And we've got to anchor ourselves in something that's real, that matters. Uh, did a wedding a few years ago, a couple decades ago. Uh, a young woman and, uh, and her husband 
she was in, it was in Delaware, and she worked at a, a job in the mall, and she was laughing. And she said she heard her boss, uh, a co-worker, called in sick or called in for some reason. And she said her boss said, well, remember, he'll never give you more than you can handle. And so the boss hangs up, and she knows the boss, this woman, and she knows the coworker. She said, I didn't know. Are you a Christian? No. Well, his coworker, whatever her name was, is she a Christian? No. Well, why did you say he'll never give you more than you can handle? Well, that's just what you say to people when they're going through hard times. That's like uh, what, you, what you're supposed to say. Uh, and it's like, what in the world is going on? There's a truth to anchor to, and we, you've got to own it and, and, and know it. Uh, Unreal. Unreal. We are looking at God's sovereignty. We're looking at life and the flow of life. Thinking of a guy who said, well, Nicodemus had his questions and Thomas had his doubts, but we've not been left in the dark to work the whole thing out. And there is an answer. And there is an understanding of life. And there's one place that you can go to get truth. That's God. And there's one place where God dispensed that truth, and that's in his word, the Bible. So we look at the Bible, we submit to what the Bible says, we understand it, and we try to, to, to put life together and live our life under that grid. Uh, Jesus did say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Think about the truth. We're wanting to know about God, and God gave us something about himself. He doesn't tell us more about himself than we can handle and get brain overload. But boy, what's there is for us to discern and look at and live and, and soak in. Uh, life is short here on earth. He gave us a word. Let's see what God says about sovereignty and about who's in charge here. So I'm here to tell you, contrary to that song, that there is an Eden and there is a heavenly gate. And if you're a Christian, you will make it there someday. There is a plan. And the things that happen in this world are part of that plan. There's truth that is not generated by you. It comes from outside of you. And it's truth that we submit to and we, we find in God's word. There's an order above what appears to be such chaos. And that foundation that we have to understanding, receiving, continuing and thriving in this world on our way to heaven is not simply to recognize that there is a plan, but to get to know, love, and submit to the planner. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Every knee will bow one day. God is sovereign. God is in charge. This is our Father's world. We're going to take 10 weeks and look at the sovereignty of God. It'll be based on scriptures, and we've got many scriptures today. Uh, in coming weeks, we'll take one and we'll spring from that. But today, we're looking at God's sovereignty. Over the next weeks, we're going to cover God's sovereignty in creation, God's sovereignty in administration of his word, in salvation. This will be the controversial one, four weeks from now, reprobation. Um, that'll be good for us. That's going to be what helps set us apart from, from uh, broadly evangelical churches. Uh, God's sovereignty in operation. God's sovereignty in the human will. God's sovereignty juxtaposed with human responsibility. That's going to be worth our time to think about and, and dig in and, and grasp. God's sovereignty in prayer. 
And then around Thanksgiving, we finish with a sermon on the proper attitude, the proper Christian attitude towards God's sovereignty. And what do you think that's going to be? You know, Thanksgiving time, I gave it away. Shucks. Thanksgiving. And we're going to thank God, and we're going to be thankful for God's sovereignty and God's operation of God's world. So, two points this morning. Number one, God is sovereign. Number two, so what? God is sovereign. So what? First one, God is sovereign. Who is regulating the affairs on earth today? Ask yourself, who is regulating the affairs on earth today? Is it God or is it the devil? Who is regulating the affairs on earth today? God or some government somewhere? Who is regulating the affairs on earth today? God or market forces? Who is regulating the affairs on earth today? God or the weather? Who's regulating the affairs on earth today? God or chance? What do we mean when we talk about God's providence? Here's a good one. I'm going to slow my speech down a little bit. Get this. This is John Calvin. A book called Calvin's Calvinism. So I bet that's Calvin. <laughs> um, here's Calvin's definition of God's providence. It's a great biblical definition. What do we mean by providence? By providence we mean not an unconcerned sitting of God in heaven from which he merely observes the things that are done in the world, but that all active and all concerned seatedness on his throne above by which he governs the world which he himself has made. So that God, as viewed in the glass of his providence, is not only the maker of all things in a moment, but the perpetual ruler of all things which he has created. That providence, therefore, which we ascribe to God, pertains as much to his operating hands as to his observing eyes. When, therefore, God is said to rule the world by his providence, we do not merely mean that he maintains and preserves that order of nature which he originally purposed in himself, but that he holds and continues a peculiar care of every single creature that he has created. That's big. And true and certain is the fact that as it was the wonderful wisdom of God that originally made the world and disposed it in its present beautiful order, so, unless the omnipotent power of God ever present sustained it, this uh, sustained it in its creation and disposed it, it could not continue in its designed order and form one hour. God didn't just make and walk away. God made. God doesn't just watch. God is active. So, besides my playlist, this is, this is a day to talk about with my son. So my birthday. David gave me the Christian joke book. He said, he, said, he, he mentioned Elizabeth and Caleb. He says, you're going to torture these kids with it. But I got a new joke book of Bible, Bible and church-related jokes. But I also got a CD, compact, compact disc. Not a CD like money, but a compact disc type CD. Those are nice, too. Those are great. Dolly Parton. Uh, and it's from her old Porter Wagner days singing gospel songs. And I remembered some of them, and some of them I didn't know. And some are really strong, and they're all kind of in the 
70s country vein, and I like it. Boy, I play it as I'm driving around. It just kind of goes in. Some are, are, are very strong. Boy, when she, she sang about uh, who's going to be surprised that, the, that her name's not in the book of life, that was, a, was like, yeah, that's a good, good point. Good point, Dolly. But there was one called, and I thought this was a weaker one to me at first, God's Coloring Book. And talks about taking a walk and seeing and how God painted the sky blue. And, and I'm, I'm thinking, this is this morning I'm driving in listening to this song. And I'm thinking, yeah, but today it's not blue, it's kind of gray. Today it's, and she talked about how God painted all the colors, the color of gray in an old man's hair and the color of the pink color in a baby's cheek and all that stuff. But you know what she said at the end, which absolutely is theologically correct? The next day, it's another page and he colors it in again. God is active. God is active in his world. He didn't just color things and go away and say, look at my coloring book, it's all done. Every day. And God is active in his world. God is active every day. God is acting right now. God is the king. God is the sovereign. Nothing happens that God doesn't, not just permit, like, ah, don't think this is going to work out, but we'll try it. No, God is actively sovereign in God's world. God is the king, the ruler. All events are God's events. And we've got to understand that. God is sovereign. Okay. What do scriptures say? What do scriptures say about it? Here's some scripture. Daniel 4, 34 and 35. Nebuchadnezzar, ruler. He was the king. And God reduced him, and there's a, uh, God, God took him and, and then threw him out there, uh, had him eating grass and everything, lost his mind. He came back to it. And what did Nebuchadnezzar say in Daniel about God? What did the king say about the real king? He said, at the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Interrupt that. I just thought of a, a time I was trying to memorize these verses. Uh, back in Bible college, way back when, back in the Pensacola days, not seminary, but Bible college, 30 years ago. And I was memorizing these verses, and I was walking around. I had to memorize for a class and a speech I was giving, and I almost tripped over a tennis ball because it was near the tennis courts, and, and somebody had hit it, and they were too lazy to go after it or couldn't find it or whatever. And I reached out. What is that I tripped over? And I picked it up, and, and just whatever got the idea as I'm reading these verses of God can do whatever God wants with his world, and you picture God holding the, the, the ball in his hand like a tennis ball, he could do what I did, see how far I could throw it, he could save it, he could clean it up, he could use it. God's world is God's world, and God can do what God wants with God's world, and the tennis ball can't say, do this or do that. And whatever God discerns to do with the world he created is right. Psalm 115.3, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Psalm 22.28, for kingship belongs to the Lord 
and he rules over the nations. Uh, here's one uh, from 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 6, 13 through 16. Paul is writing to this young pastor. He says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things to keep the commandment until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he wraps that section up with, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. You want a picture of God, of big God, of God the King. Man, I don't want to serve anybody else after that. I don't want to bow down. I don't want to cheer for anybody. I, don't want, I want to see God, and I want to worship God, and I want to get my little carcass in line with who God is, and I, want, I don't want even people to worship me. I, I want to worship God. I've got to line myself up. God is sovereign. God is great. God is big. God is worthy of our praise, and only God is worthy of our praise. Contrast the God of the Bible with the God, in quotes, of, most, of much of modern churches, in quotes. God is not up in heaven singing to us uh, in an Elvis voice, oh, let me be your little good luck charm. That's not God's status toward us. God is not some cosmic rabbit's foot that we have for luck. Someone asked, is it really lucky for you to carry a rabbit's foot? And the answer was, well, not for the rabbit, of course. Um, God is not up in heaven. I'm supposed to kind of chuckle. <laughs> Probably told it wrong. Uh, that had to be it, or you would have just been laughing. Uh, not lucky for the rabbit. Get it? Okay, we'll move on. Uh, God is not trying his best. God's not up in heaven saying, I'm going to try my best. No one will ever come up to God after some defeat and put their arm around God's shoulder and say, well, God, just consider this to be a learning experience. You'll grow from this. Don't worry, God, you'll get them next time. Nobody says that to God. God is sovereign. God being God, uh, God is God. God is absolutely sovereign and in control of his world at all times. We're going to see that in the coming weeks in various dimensions. Right now, that's point one. God is sovereign. For us, what does it matter? So what? So what? Well, we're going to find out so what. We know, what do we know about God's sovereignty? Everything God's told us. Why did God tell us anything in the Bible? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped from every good work. Uh, God gave us the scriptures about himself so that we Christians can be complete, be perfect for every good work that he's called us to do. He gave it to us. Uh, and so here's ten quick things with some scripture backing, but here's, here they are. Um, why? What does it matter that God is sovereign? What does it matter to you and to me? that God is sovereign, if we take it seriously. One, it deepens our worship of God as we see his divine character. We see his grace in the midst of sovereignty. Romans eleven thirty three. 
Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. It deepens our worship of God as we see his divine character. Oh, we've got to do that. Why do we start? Uh, you look back and maybe we, we bow it or don't do it quite as good as we could every now and then. But the whole intent, the whole beginning of a worship service, after the elder comes in, you hear, you hear the, the, the announcements and, and just some gathering and some settling. Then the service begins when the person comes up here, God's elder uh, for your church comes up and says, here is our call to worship and reads a scripture about worshiping God. And then we deliberately sing two songs, we could sing three or four or five, whatever, but we start out with God's worship. He is exalted. Uh, there's something about praise, something about God's bigness. You start out that way, and that gets you in the mood. That gets us in the, not mood, but the frame of mind for everything to follow. God is sovereign. So what? It, it deepens our worship of God as we see his divine character. Second, it is the solid foundation of all true religion. If God's not sovereign, why pray? Why, why even bother to pray if God's not sovereign? Why pray? If we can't pray with that wonderful clause, if it be thy will, why even pray? The only reason we can say thoughts and prayers with a straight face is because we believe and know there's a sovereign God. The world mocks that phrase. Well, if you're just saying it as a cliche, you don't even believe in prayer. If there's no sovereign God, then, then I, I'll mock it too. But I know what prayer means. The sovereignty of God is the, sovereign, is the solid foundation of all true religion. Uh, one more comment under that point. Every good thing we do is a dead work unless done for the glory of God. We are not making up in our strength for where God is weak because God is not weak. God's sovereignty is the basis. It's the solid foundation of all true religion. Third, what is important about God being sovereign and us understanding that and reading it? It repudiates the heresy of salvation by works. The heresy of salvation by works. So many uh, implications and so many uh, people. You've got to work your way to heaven. I hope I'm good enough to get to heaven. Oh, I hope, hope my, my, feet can, uh, are, are my feet aren't so muddy I can't walk the streets of gold. Oh, I hope I'm good enough for heaven. I hope I've got to be good. When you're good, uh, God's sovereignty, God's sovereignty repudiates the heresy of salvation by works. Uh, Proverbs 14, 12, one little proof text for that. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Four, it's deeply humbling to the creature. That's not a bad thing to be humbled by God's sovereignty. If you're going to be humble, be humble by God's sovereignty. It's a bad thing to be humbled and humiliated at work or at a, in a marriage relationship or, or in things like that. It's a bad thing to be humbled uh, and beaten down. But you want to come against God's sovereignty and be humbled? That's a good thing. Uh, Pink said, uh, it's a great battering ram against human pride. God's sovereignty is a great battering ram against human pride. And when it humbles us, it brings praise to God. Five, it affords a sense of absolute security. Uh, if God is totally sovereign, then you are totally secure, Christian. 
no matter what happens. Carest thou not that we perish? Right? Moses' parting words in Deuteronomy 33, 26 and 27. There is none like God, O Jeshurun. None like God who rides through the heavens to your help. Through the skies in his majesty. The eternal God is your dwelling place. And underneath are the everlasting arms. And he thrusts out the enemy before you and he said, destroy. God riding, picture God riding through the heavens to your aid when you need it. I get a kick. I hear things when people mispronounce things and you guys hear it when I mispronounce words. And there's things that maybe you smile or maybe things you go, ooh. But you know how some people, they'll say, and the cavalry is on its way, but instead of cavalry, they say the cavalry is on its way. And you think, that's a bad, we're talking about the cavalry in the old days, the horn blowing, and here they come on the, in their uniforms, and, you know, usually some guy looking a little like Custer, you know, who, who wasn't a very good uh, cavalry man, apparently, because <laughs> he didn't make it. But uh, they say the cavalry is on its way. Well, you know what, Christian? If you're talking in the Christian sense, you don't want the cavalry. You do want the cavalry, don't you? And the Calvary can be on its way. Uh, one thing about the greatness of God's sovereignty, the fifth thing is it gives a sense of absolute security. Psalm 91, uh, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Six, it supplies comfort in sorrow. Psalm 139, 7 and following. Where shall I go from your spirit? If I say, surely the darkness will cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. You go through that dark night of the soul, as we call it, uh, the noonday demon, the darkness, the darkness, and you say, it's all dark. My whole world is black. Uh, paint it black. It's all black. Everything's black. This verse says, the darkness is not dark to the Lord. There is light. God comes even into your darkness. Seventh grade, farming accident. Laura Plate was a girl in my class. Her big brother, Steve Plate, was a eighth grader. I was seventh grade. And uh, there goes dad. Some, something happened on the farm. Come into school and Steve and Laura aren't there. And a couple of days later, Laura's there. And for a couple of days, she just has her head on her desk crying because her dad died. And I had never, ever, I heard a lot of Bible in my life. But either, either I heard it and it didn't stand out to me. But the family issued a statement. And it was a scripture statement. It was a scripture statement from the book of Job, where Job said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that hit me as a seventh grader. Uh, God is the one who gives the comfort. God's the one. The Lord gives, the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In God's sovereignty that we don't understand, we cry out. There's the one giving comfort in sorrow. Next one. He gets a spirit of sweet resignation. 2 Samuel 15, 25 and 26. David's the old man. He's the king. He should be looking at his 401k. He should be thinking about his legacy. He should be signing a, 
uh, a contract to, to, to get paid a few million for his memoirs and go on the speaking circuit talking about Goliath. Uh, he should, things should be running themselves by now. And what's happened, his own son, Absalom, has raised up against him and wants the kingdom and does terrible things. And David is driven out of town. And some of the David loyalists are with him. And, and the rest are there in, in hanging back at the palace. And David, uh, they said to him, do you want me? Uh, they brought the Ark of the Covenant along with them. They brought the Ark. That's the setting. And David said in 2 Samuel 15, King David said to Zadok, carry the Ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see his dwelling place. But if he says I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do what seems good to him. And we can say that in our own lives. We can resign to a loving God, to a wise God, and say circumstances, we don't have to get all bent out of shape. Oh, we do what's right at the right times, and we, we evaluate, and different people have different, you know, they, they do their best as Christians, and they evaluate how active to get involved in various things and all that. But in the end, all of us who are Christians say, you know what? God is going to do what's best for him. And my life is in his hands, and I want my life there. I don't want my life in my hands. I want my life in God's hands. Next, this would be eight. It evokes a song of praise. Understanding God's sovereignty makes us praise. Philippians, Paul in jail, joy and rejoicing throughout. Nine, it guarantees the final triumph of good over evil. The end is not in doubt. God is sovereign. God is good. Good will win, ultimately. Multi multiple examples in Scripture of that. We'll get into some of those as, as it goes along. But uh, understanding that the truth of God's sovereignty, as God has explained it to us, guarantees the final triumph of good over evil. And finally, 10, it provides a resting place for the heart. A resting place for the heart. You, uh, as in all your turmoil, and we talked about this. This is in, uh, I put a quote in here in, the, in, our, in our worship folder. This is from the Knowing God. I could have put the whole chapter, but then we'd be uh, another 35 minutes. Uh, so I didn't. I just put this part of Spurgeon's uh, sermon that, that Packer quoted to start it out. Listen to this, and then we're going to have a, we're going to talk about the cross a little bit, and then we're going to close. There is something exceedingly improving to the mind in a contemplation of the divinity. It is a subject so vast that all our thoughts are lost in its immensity, so deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. Other subjects we can compass and grapple with. In them, we feel a kind of self-content and go our way with the thought, behold, I am wise. But when we come to this master science, this master science of understanding God and diving into what God and who God said he is, when we come to this master science, finding that our plumb line cannot sound its depth and that our eagle eye cannot see its height, we turn away with the thought that vain man would be wise, but he's like a wild ass's colt. And with solemn explanation, I am but of yesterday and know nothing. No subject of contemplation will tend more to humble the mind, 
than thoughts of God. You dive in in your thoughts of God. You, you start, it's, it's all that, that old talk we've talked about various times, the gaze and the glance. Uh, we gaze at our problems and the world's problems. We gaze at what's coming. We try and read the tea leaves. We try and see what's happening. And we get so bogged down. And then, then we'll glance at God and say, God, help us. Uh, what the Bible tells us and what God tells us is gaze at God and glance at, at, the, at the issues around you. And what that will do for your mind is incredible because it's proper and it's the right perspective. And then I would just close by way of conclusion, application. Does this not make God's salvation that much more awesome? Does this not make God's salvation that much more compelling? Does this not make God's salvation that much more great and wonderful? He didn't need to provide this great salvation. Sovereign, almighty God saved you. Second person of the Trinity took on flesh and died for you. God died for you and me. And we think about that and we go, man, I can lift my head up and I can throw my shoulders back and I can live. Wow, I can walk in this earth knowing God and all of his greatness died for me. Think of the mercy, the compassion, the love for you, Christian, that God has. We say had when we're talking about the event, the one-time event on the cross, but, but had, yeah, has. Currently, now, has. This is my sovereign, kingly body, my royal blood, human, real, and poured out for you. You are saved. You are given new life. You belong to sovereign God who loves you, who knows you, who's not just watching you, but whose arms are working and walking with you in this world. And you take that and you live a little, a little more free this week, a little more happy, a little more uh, not carefree, but you cast your cares on him because he cares for you. And we can live, a, we could, as we think about it, we don't forget it. When I forget it, I, I get right back down to the muck and mire. As I think about it and contemplate it, there's, a, there's something that God gives, and we say we can do this. Get more into it as we go along, but, but, but I just want us to, 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 to close as we see God's sovereignty and all the benefits of it. Realize when we go to the table, uh, we are... We are commemorating, we're celebrating, we are looking forward to, we are interacting with a king, a sovereign king who died for us. Uh, let's pray, and let's just pray, and, and, and my prayer is the Lord takes something or things that were said uh, and, and gives something for us to meditate on during this week that we can keep building on. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus' uh, salvation for us our King of kings and our Lord of lords, taking on himself the form of a servant and serving us by dying for us and taking our sins upon himself. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for your great sovereign watch care over us. And thank you that it's your world. And, and, and we pray that you'll help uh, just draw us into that 
way of thinking more and more. In Jesus' name, amen. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered unto you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took 